Grind won't stop pricing arbitrage really between eBay and Amazon launched company many years ago now doing, you know, did it uh, about 4 million bucks in revenue between 2017, 2018 from 2018 to 2019 grew that to about 5.4 million bucks in revenue. Their number one product is called price yak. Again, helping sellers identify sellers, identify drop shipping arbitrage opportunities, but a thousand customers using the platform today as they look to scale their profitable, only $400,000 raised team of 17 in San Francisco as they look to scale. This is the Top Entrepreneurs Podcast, where founders share how they started their companies and got filthy rich or crash and burn. Each episode features revenue numbers, customer counts, and other insider information that creates business news headlines. We went from a couple of hundred thousand dollars to 2.7 million. I had no money when I started the company. It was $160 million, which is the size of many IPOs. We're bootstrapped. We have like 22,000 customers. With over 5 million downloads in a very short amount of time, major outlets like Inc. are calling us the fastest growing business show on iTunes. I'm your host, Nathan Latka, and here's today's episode. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Max Cole. She's a serial entrepreneur and investor. After graduating early from MIT with a degree in computer science, he started Zinc.io. That was YC Winter 14, a 20-person startup in San Fran, which now powers tens of thousands of e-commerce companies all around the world. Max, you ready to take us to the top? Let's do it. All right, man. E-commerce is hot. What's Zinc do and how do you make money? What's the revenue model? So Zinc has four different products. I won't go into details on all of them, but we basically sell SaaS software and enterprise software to some of the biggest online marketplace sellers. Okay. Give me an example of a customer. So a customer could be like a top hundred Amazon seller and they're interested in doing multi-channel selling. So they want to cross list their inventory from Amazon onto eBay or other channels. Um, We help them do that. We build software for inventory management, repricing, automatic ordering, that whole suite of and so break down kind of how you focus and, and meet the names you've given these things, Price Yak, Joe Lister, Bybot. You're good, man. We can hear you. No problem. So so break down how you spend your time on a daily basis. So you have multiple different product lines. You, you probably have different cohorts of customers for each product line. How do you split your time? Uh, so me and my co-founder do a good job of splitting up based on product domain. So he's in charge of one of our products and I do kind of the um, smaller and more um you know, innovation, feature focused stuff. Um, so he is in charge of Price Yak, which is our big revenue driver. Um, and he he's in charge that. of what? Sorry. Price Yak. Uh, Price Yak. Big, yeah, that makes uh, most of our money for the company. Like more than um, 90%? Nine, um, no, about 60% of the total revenue of the company, I would say, comes from Price Yak. And I look at kind of the new initiatives. Yeah. Let So, okay. So, I'd love to focus on price yak since it's your big thing, but you're saying you don't, you, you spend your time not focused so much on that. You're on new initiatives mostly? We both do everything is the short okay. answer. All right. So on the oh, web, yeah. on we the, both do everything. Tell, tell me more about price. Yak. on the website, you say automating dropship arbitrage for eBay sellers, repricing and fulfill your dropship orders automatically. What's that mean? Yeah. So if you're uh, familiar with dropship arbitrage, it's basically this mechanism of being in marketplace seller without actually having the inventory that you're selling. You just kind of know where to get it. And so our software automates that whole process. We help you list items from other marketplaces. So one common example is Amazon to eBay. eBay has millions, tens of millions of products. Amazon has hundreds of millions of products. Some of those are mispriced. And so you can take advantage of that price arbitrage by using our software to list something from Amazon on eBay without actually owning it. And we do the full stack of all the stuff that could be automated, which is cross-listing stuff, 
uh, repricing it when it changes price on Amazon. We change the price on eBay and actually fulfilling the order. That's kind of the coolest part is is the automatic ordering. We place like 20 to 25,000 orders a day on Amazon. So Max, just to be clear, if I see a Home Depot drill on eBay about to go for $32.13, there's an hour left in the auction and I quickly use price I can see on Amazon that's going for $39.20. There's a $3 arbitrage there if I can do it in a no-touch fashion. I could use price to capture that three bucks for myself. Sort of. Yeah, actually, eBay, most of eBay is actually not auctions anymore. It's almost all buy it now. Less than 10% of it is auctions. So it's almost entirely stuff where you'll see that drill for $39 on eBay. And then you, um, I mean, you're a savvy shopper, so you're going to check all the different marketplaces, but most people actually don't. And turns out you can get that drill for $31 on Amazon. And so that's what a lot of our sellers do. They'll sell it for, you know, 36, 37. And so it is in a way it's similar to financial markets arbitrage, which is like the oldest arbitrage in the book where you'll take stocks from two different exchanges and arb them out. This is the same thing, except with hundreds of millions of consumer goods. So Max, let me ask you, like, I, this feels like an obvious question to me, but maybe I'm stupid and there's an obvious answer. Why, why, why do you need these people? Why not just do the arbitrage yourself across hundreds of millions of goods? Yeah. So my co-founder was actually one of the biggest arbitrage sellers um, when he was in high school. And that's kind of where part of the origins of Zinc came from. Uh, so that's a good question. We get that a lot. The main reason is that there's a lot of actual bottlenecks. Um, obviously, if, if we did it ourselves and there was no impediments, we could take over the market. But the problem is, it's not an eBay's advantage. It's not an Amazon's advantage to have all their sellers and all their buyers be one person, right? It's, as a marketplace, they're incentivized to diversify. So we kind of give them this idea of diversification and allow them to, um, you know, have tons of sellers who do some do retail arbitrage, some do uh, dropship arbitrage, some some have a mix of normal sales and dropship. Um, and so we were able to avoid a lot of those bottlenecks. Another really important reason is that our sellers are kind of the growth engine of our of our products. They always discover these new niches. They're going to be the first ones to look at products coming from China um, and like new stores, you know, unique inventory. And so we can't do all that product discovery ourselves. And so we just do the stuff that's really scalable, which is the software. Well, why can't you do that discovery yourself? I mean, I assume you've written some script to go after unstructured data on these sites. You then structured. I imagine that searching is much more efficient. You, you have a much wider net than an individual seller manually looking at new stuff coming out of China. The interesting thing is there's a lot of niche opportunities that aren't super, you know, they're not million dollar opportunities each, but they may, they might make somebody 100K, 200K a year. I see. And so it's not in our incentive to kind of seek all these out. And there's hundreds of them, right? Thousands, maybe. Um, and so we have people from all across the world who are really, you know, some are really familiar with selling in China and creating listings that are well translated and really appeal to those sellers. And so they're going to win in a certain market, but we can't really go out and win all those hundreds of markets. Interesting. Okay. How do you make money on Priceyak? So we charge, uh, it's, a, it's a complicated billing model, but we basically charge per listing and per order. So it's kind of a modified SaaS fee. Okay. So what is, can you break, can you just for simplification matters, can you break that down? The average person's going to pay you about what per month on Price Yak? Yeah. So we have a, probably around a thousand customers on Price Yak yeah. and it's very skewed. So there's some big customers that pay us tens of thousands of dollars a month. And there's a lot of smaller ones that pay us on the order of hundreds of dollars a month. Okay. Uh, yeah. If you're, if you're just a beginning seller and you have a couple hundred items, you'll probably be paying us a hundred, 200 bucks a month, which works out to like 25, 30% of your profit. Yeah. Yeah. So would, I mean, if I pushed you harder here and do an average, would you say 500, 600 bucks somewhere in that range is probably fair? I think the mean, yeah, would be around yeah. there. Uh, the median seller probably pays a little bit less because it's like pretty skewed to the, you know, to the top. And then uh, you'd probably definitely have power laws in terms of 20% of the customers make up 80% of the revenue doing huge volumes. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Well, look, even that 500, you know, a thousand customers at 500 bucks a month, that's 500 grand a month right there in revenue. I mean, am I doing the math right? Uh, yeah. I mean, based on that, it's probably a little bit less, probably about half of that. But yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, good. So doing about 250 grand a month just on price yak. Something like that. Yeah. Is it predictable? I mean, is it really SaaS revenue when you guys go out and I don't know if you've raised, but if you have raised, do you get SaaS valuations? 
Uh, we actually haven't raised. We bootstrapped most of the company. We went through Y Combinator, which is a startup accelerator on NSF. So you took um, 150 then, right? We took uh, 120 back then. What? But yeah, we did that. And then we raised a small uh, pre-seed round after that. So the total fundraise was under 400K. Um, and it was just me and my co-founder working on it back then. So it was you know enough money for us to work on it for a while. And then we just profitable soon after that. That's great. Profitable today? Uh, we are profitable. Yeah, sorry, I missed you there. That's okay. What's the team size today? So we're about 17 people. We were actually half that starting 2018. So we've kind of gone on a growth spurt lately. Um, and uh, yeah, the team size is 17 now, mostly in San Francisco. Does it make you, make you nervous going on a growth spurt? Expenses going up? It does. It does. But I'm not super worried because we've always been very conservative and we've always kept, um, we've maintained profitability for the past three years. We've pretty much doubled every year. Um, and so we're, I'm not super concerned about that. That's great. Now, when you look at, you know, typical SaaS metrics, or I think, you know, churn, ARPU, you know, CAC, things like that. Do you use those same metrics to drive decision-making in the company? Like things like churn or no, is that difficult to measure? It is really difficult to measure. It's interesting that you bring that up. We look at revenue as like our core number one metric and kind of all things revenue. Um, That's a good metric, Max, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's the most important one. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, secondary metrics as well. But I think revenue is is kind of the thing that we keep the most tabs on. Yep. And just to be clear, I mean, if you're doing 250 on price yak annually, that's about 3 million a year and that's 60% of your revenue. So what's that about 5.4 million total across all your product lines? Yes, do exactly. They, It'll be around five and a half, six million this year. Yeah. And what was it? What'd you, what'd you do last year? Just so we can get a sense of growth. So last year, between last year and this year, we probably, our growth slowed down. So we probably grew like 15 to 20%. Before that, we were doubling year on year. Okay. But still healthy considering you're basically bootstrapped. Yes, pretty healthy. And we have a bunch of new initiatives now that kind of we're working on uh, going a little bit more upmarket, selling to retailers and selling to brands. We've built out a lot of really cool technology that uh, can power a lot of what they want to do. So that's kind of what we're focused on this year. That's great. So just to be clear, last 12 months, so call it 2018, maybe you close out at a $4 million run rate. You're thinking now this year you'll close at maybe a $5.4 million run rate or something like that. Is that right? I think twenty six, uh, sorry, twenty eighteen. We did five. We'll probably do five point five. Um, well, that's done. Year. So, like, you know, you just haven't closed the books yet. But you haven't closed the books yet. Yeah, we're estimated probably on the order of five point five to six. Oh, okay, um, so I was off by a year. Was probably five, four and a half to five, and then yeah, that's got it. Yeah, so I was I was off by a year there. So to, from twenty seventeen to the to the beginning of twenty eighteen, you call it four ish million. You grow fifteen to twenty percent. You'll do five point four million last twelve months. Can you keep right. fifteen to twenty percent growth year over year? You think? I think we'll do more than that this year. I think a large part of the slowdown was that we were focused on hiring. We were focused on processes because before that we were very, you know, we were a small company. And so it was like very easy to keep processes going. We, we had to create a little bit more structure this year, hiring teams, well-structured kind of, you know, project managers, things like that. Um, so I'm actually pretty optimistic that we can probably grow a lot more than that this year. Who are you hiring? You mentioned you doubled your team size. What are these people doing? Um, so we've hired a few PMs. We hired a couple account managers um, to kind of keep our largest accounts happy. Um, and then engineering. We're always hiring good engineers. So A thousand customers is obviously you know, difficult to get all those folks signed up. I assume you're doing some interesting things around customer acquisition. What's a growth channel you're using that might not be typical? Yeah. So a surprising one here is that, um, I mean, we, we've kind of exhausted this one a little bit, but to get contact info, we can basically identify anybody who's dropshipping on eBay um, through certain mechanisms that we have. The hardest part is getting the actual contact info for them. So for a while, we were actually just buying stuff from eBay from almost every seller. And we would, you know, our office was basically filled with junk. We threw a couple of office parties where we just gave away lots of stuff and it would be like the cheapest thing from that seller. Um, but that way we get their contact info. We could call them up and uh, say, hey, we know you're dropshipping. Uh, you know, you should use our software. So it's kind of an interesting tactic. Another one is that we um, 
my co-founder like four years ago posted an answer to a Stack Overflow question about like, how can I automatically order from Amazon? And we have, you know, the top rated answer there is like, you can't do it. And then he commented on it, it's like, actually you can with our software. And we get a ton of inbound from that. It's like pretty surprising. It's interesting. It's fascinating how those things work out. Um, it, you mentioned exhausting kind of buying kind of one from everyone. W- were you able to back into a pretty predictable customer acquisition cost? You knew you had to spend a hundred bucks on random shit to get, you know, 10 new emails and one of them converts to a paying customer. A lot of that, we would actually get a lot of conversions from that mechanism. Like it was, it was, it wasn't even worth doing the math. It was like very obvious that it was uh, working out there. Um, the LTV for these customers is probably in the high hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. And every once in a while we can, you know, hit a jackpot with a guy who's paying 10 or 20 K a month. So, um, so it's, yeah, the LTV just, uh, the, the CAC, I guess made sense. Yep. Um, so we didn't worry about it too much. We don't do any traditional marketing. Um, we don't run ads really. We kind of do these creative things. Yeah. Well, talk to me about some of the creative things you're launch- You just recently launched that you help, you hope perform. Um, I guess, I mean, we've done some like postcard campaigns. This is like an interesting one. It's not super recent. We did this last year, but, um, in the EU and, uh, UK, uh, legally sellers have to have their address on the listing. Um, so that was even easier to get their contact information. We did a postcard campaign where we just mailed them postcards with some, um, you know, information about Joe Lister and about price yak. And so that was kind of a cool growth hack, uh, that worked decently well, not as good as, as the other stuff that I mentioned, but um, pretty good. So we try to look for creative opportunities like that. How do you stay ahead of Amazon terms and, and eBay term changes? I had friends that were in this business for many years, made a lot of money, and then Amazon changed something about timing related to returns that just screwed up their whole business. Hundred percent. Yeah, this is this is kind of our biggest day to day, and and it's hard. It's not easy. Um, there's definitely like constantly changes that we need to be abreast of. That's why we have account managers who are responsible for talking to customers every day. And the customers are the ones who kind of hear about it first. They talk to each other. They hear premonitions. Uh, we adapt really quickly. We've had a bunch of instances where, you know, eBay would say this and Amazon would say that. And then our customers would freak out. And then it was our job to like assuage them. And people have been kind of thinking that the business is going to die for the dropship business is going away. And it's like, it's not going anywhere. I mean, you're familiar with probably other companies like Wish and all these other like great successes that are doing very similar stuff. So I think it's as e-commerce grows. Um, you know, Amazon is never going to have hundred percent of the market, especially internationally. And so just more and more of these opportunities. Yep. Uh, of the team of 17, are any folks on marketing or sales or onboarding? You mentioned some account executives. Do you calculate the, you know, add them into your fully weighted CAC or no? Uh, sorry, say that one more time. Do, do you, of your team, you have 17 people. You said some of them are doing like account kind of onboarding, you know, success, things like that. Do you include their salaries in fully weighted CAC or no? We know so their their salaries are basically like a, a base plus a percentage of the revenue that they're accountable for. Um, so I guess in, in that way, yeah, it's like it's related to the LTV of their customers that they're managing. Yeah. Do, do you incentivize them on expansion they drive? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So there's a, any expansion revenue for their customers. They they get a large percentage of interesting. If you um, if you don't add any new customers over the next year, what, what are you fairly certain your revenue will grow by just from expansion on your current base? Mm, that's a it's a tough projection. So we don't generally do that kind of projection, but just because it's very useful, um and, and kind of volatile, like you said, the ecosystem as a whole. Um, I think the biggest customers could definitely like the biggest customers are the ones that I keep closest tabs on, and they're growing like 10, 20 percent year over year. Um, but I, I, I mean, honestly, I'm most excited about kind of using the technology that we've built for these SaaS. Uh, sellers and these market areas, these marketplace sellers, and actually leveraging that to build some solutions for bigger retailers and, and bigger brands. Um, obviously, they're you know a lot more cash rich, and, and they also have a lot of these needs that we've already solved. It's just that we haven't productized it in a way we haven't had this ten percent layer on top of what we have currently. 
in order to you know make it something that they can use. So that's kind of what where I think a lot of our growth as a company will come from. I was going to say, so how do you let your your? It sounds like you let your co-founder kind of manage the business, the operations, what's doing, which allows your brain to kind of swim around in this free zone, lets you be creative. I see guitars in the background, right? How do you decide like what kind of new, like how do you decide where you want to let your mind wander? Yeah, uh, so it's traditionally been all customer focused. So we always try to get at least one person to say, I will pay you for that. In fact, we try to get the money in the bank before we start building anything. Do you do that via like a professional services kind of model? Uh, exactly. Yeah. So we have a thing called Zinc Works, and we basically will do a little contracting here and there. If the customer, like our requirement for that is obviously if the money's uh, you know in the right range, or if the customer is somebody who we can see a lot of expansion revenue into, we'll we'll do it. Um, and so lately, we've gotten a lot more credibility, and we've gotten a lot of relationships in the upmarket space where we can, uh, you know, we know we can build something that they want. It's just a matter of like adding this little layer on top of the infrastructure that we already have. Um, we are probably like the number one or number two scraper of Amazon and, and all these other sites. And so we're confident that we can kind of do any sort of repricing, competitive intelligence, information gathering, uh, any sort of things like that better than they can with their in-house teams. Yep. Are you, uh, if someone, you know, if Amazon or eBay approached you and said, Hey, listen, we want to buy the company for 25 million bucks. Do you sell? 25 million? Probably not, but some, that's still pretty good. That's like five. I mean, that's pretty, that's like five X. It's a five X. Yeah. That would, I, I'm, I'm pretty like optimistic about the company as a whole. Um, and there's a number for sure. I mean, everybody has a number, right? Um, it's, it's not, you know, I would sell for a hundred for sure. Um, <laughs> well, but I hope so, Max. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there, there's, there's something in between where it can be worked out. I think the most interesting kind of acquisitions as always are like strategic. So I think there's a lot of these high growth retailers um, that are really, you know, their biggest competition is Amazon. They're taking them head on. I, if you remember jet.com, they got ended up getting acquired by Walmart. We were actually um, like a, their, their kind of biggest vendor of services um, before they launched for a year. And, and, and after they launched a lot of their sales were actually happening through us. So, retailers like that will come along. And, um, that's kind of the most interesting opportunity probably for that. Yeah. That's interesting. Do you, have you quantified how much money people have made via your platform on arbitrage? Um, we, yes. So, I mean, you can roughly think about it. We take about 20 to 40% of the, of the profit that the person earns. So pretty much everything that we've made times, you know, 2.5 or yep. three, um, that being said, like last year, I think in total sales driven, we, it was like 260 million or so. Yeah. That's actually not a ton. I thought it would be no, no offense. I mean, I thought it would be bigger than that actually. Right. So, because there's, I mean, there's so much sales happening. Is there, are there just, are there only just so many arbitrage opportunities? Is, is it, is the market pretty efficient already? Um, there's that. I mean, in Amazon to eBay, it's definitely kind of, uh, exhausted. There's a lot of sellers doing it. There's some competition that has sprung up to us. Um, we're still the best, but again, we're not, I would say in terms of the market, we probably have less than 15% of it in terms of Amazon to eBay. So probably a lot of what you're thinking is, you know, especially some of the people on the biggest end of things, they build their own software, you know, it's in their incentive to kind of keep that extra 20, 30% that we take, um, and have like three, four five people full time working on it. Um, so that's kind of a challenge that we face. Also, there's, there's, yeah, at least two competitors that I know of that are, um, pretty good. Um, so it, it is, it is still a big space. And I think the most interesting opportunities are the international stuff. So there's like, you know, AliExpress, obviously China, people keep an eye on, and then just like Europe and South America, there's a lot of opportunities that we're seeing as well. Yeah. But, but, do you ever sell, do you ever roll up this data and sell kind of leading indicators to, to VCs and investing in these kind of product companies? I mean, these are interesting indicators in terms of volume of what's going to be hot over the next Christmas season or something. Totally. Uh, we have not. Um, it's a good idea. We've thought about it. Um, we, you know, there's a lot of stuff like this on the back burner that we're like, if we need to squeeze out an extra million dollars a year here and there, we can, yeah. we can do that. Interesting. All right, Max, let's wrap up with the famous five. Number one, what's your favorite business book? Uh, Rework. 
Number it's a good one. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? Um, Ben Horowitz is, is actually, I read his book most recently, but I've been following him kind of, uh, more recently as number, our company. Does. Number three, what's your favorite online tool for building the business? Who, um, I like profit well a lot. Integrates really well with Stripe gives you kind of full metrics on, uh, on that. And number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? I sleep a good amount, probably eight hours. Okay. And what's your situation? Married, single kids? Max, what's your situation? Married, single, kiddos? Uh, sorry, say that one more time. I am single. No kids? No kids. And, no how, kids. and, how, and how old are you? I'm 26. 26. Last question. What do you wish your 20-year-old self knew? 20-year-old self should know to continue working hard, that the grind does not stop just because you you know finish MIT and finish YC and then uh, you know are working on a company. I think it just continues to get harder and harder. Um, and I think that's a good thing. I think you got to embrace the struggle. Guys, grind won't stop. Pricing arbitrage really between eBay and Amazon launched company many years ago. Now doing, you know, did it uh, about 4 million bucks in revenue between 2017, 2018. From 2018 to 2019, grew that to about 5.4 million bucks in revenue. Their number one product is called Price Yak. Again, helping sellers identify, sellers identify drop shipping arbitrage opportunities. About a thousand customers using the platform today as they look to scale. They're profitable. Only $400,000 raised. Team of 17 in San Francisco as they look to scale. Max, thanks for taking us to the top. Thank you so much for having me.